Captive of the Centurianus by Paul Anderson Chapter 2 The bulletin board said that in the present orbital positions of the planets, the Jovian Queen would make her voyage at one Earth gravity acceleration in six days, forty-three minutes and twelve seconds, plus or minus ten seconds. That might be pure braggadocio, though Ballantyne wouldn't have been surprised to learn that it was a sober truth. He hoped the time was overestimated. His cabin mates were a little wearing on the nerves. Erushkadan filling the room with smoke, sitting up till all hours, covering paper with mathematical symbols, and screaming at any interruption. Diane was nice-looking, but rather overwhelming. In some ways she was reminiscent of Catherine Vanbrugh. The engineer shuddered. He slouched moodily into the bar and ordered a martini he could ill afford. The place was quiet, discreetly lit, not very full. His eyes fell on the stiff-laced Jovian colonel, still clutching his portfolio like grim death, but talking with unusual animation to a stunning terrestrial redhead. It was clear that ideas about the purity of the Jovian stock hardened in the fire and ice of outer space, tempered and beaten into the new and dominant mankind, had been temporarily shelved. If I had some money, thought Ballantyne gloomily, I could detach her from him and enjoy this trip. The bartender informed him, with some awe, that the man was Colonel Ivan Hosea Domenico Wachewski Feldkamp, late military attaché of Jupiter's terrestrial embassy, and an officer who had served with distinction in suppressing the Ionian revolt and asserting Jupiter's rightful claims to Saturn. Ray was more interested in the girl's name and antecedents, just as he thought an heiress on the pleasure trip. Expensive. A couple of genial earthmen moved up and began talking to him. Before long they suggested a friendly game of poker. Oh, ho, thought Ray, who knew that sort. Sure, he said. They played most of the time for a couple of days. Luck went back and forth, but in general Ray won, and toward the end he was a couple of thousand UN credits to the good. He let his eyes glitter with febrile cupidity, and the sharks, there were three of them all told, almost licked their lips. Excuse me for a minute, said Ray, pocketing his winnings. I'll be back, and then we'll play for real stakes. You bet, said the sharks. They sat back, lit anticipatory cigars, and waited. And waited. And waited. Ray found the redhead remarkably easy to pry from the colonel. The girl thought it would be just too much fun to go slumming and have the captain's dinner with him in the third-class saloon. He led her down the thrumming corridor, thinking wistfully that before he knew it he'd be in Ganymede City and as broke as he'd been to start with. Erushkadan crawled slowly by, waving an idle tentacle at him. The Martian walking system was awkward under Earth gravity, and their table manners being worse than atrocious, they ate in a separate section. It was Deanne who really started the trouble. She strode up behind Ray and clapped a heavy hand on his shoulder. Where have you been? she asked reproachfully. You have not been in our cabin for two days and nights now. The redhead blushed. Oh, hello, Deanne, said Ray, annoyed. I'll see you later. Of course you will, she smiled. Ah, oh, you dashing, glamorous earthmen. You make me feel so small and weak. She topped him by a good two inches. 
They came into the doorway of the saloon, and three familiar figures barred Ray's passage. What the hell became of you, Ballantyne? demanded one. His geniality was quite gone. You was going to play some ma with us. I forgot, said Ray huskily. The three men looked bigger than they had somehow. It's not sporting to quit when you're so far ahead, said another. There, said a third. You ought at least to give us some money back. I haven't got any, said Ray. Look, pal, things happen to people that ain't good sports, that ain't very popular, and things happen to them. Where's that money? They crowded in, hemming him against the wall. Beyond them, he could see Colonel Wachowski Feldkamp staring coldly at the tableau. Ray wondered if he hadn't put the players up to this. He wouldn't have dared start trouble without some kind of sub-rosa official hint. Come on back to our cabin and we'll talk this over, pal. The redhead squeaked and shrank aside. A meaty hand closed on Ray's arm and dragged him half off his feet. Deanne bristled, one hand clapped to her sword. Are these men annoying you, Ray? she asked. No, we just want a quiet little private talk with our friend, said one of them. Just come along easy, Ballantyne. Deanne, I think they are annoying me, said the engineer, the words rattling in a suddenly dry and tightened throat. Oh, well, in that case, she smiled, reached out and grabbed a collar. There was a minor explosion. The man catapulted into the air, hit the ceiling, caromed off a wall and bounced on the floor. Sheer reflex and knives flying into the hands of the other two. Almoner's good, shouted Deanne joyously. She gave the nearest gambler a fistful of knuckles, tossed him into the air, clutched his ankles as he came down, and whirled him against the wall. The third was stabbing at her back. Blindly, Ray grabbed his arm and pulled him away. He snarled and lunged at the engineer, who tumbled backward, clutching after the nearest weapon. It happened to be Colonel Wachowski Feldkamp's massive briefcase. He grabbed it free and brought it down on the gambler's head. It hit with a dull thwack, and the fellow lurched. Ray hit him again. The briefcase burst open and paper snowed through the air. Then Deanne got the enemy from behind and proceeded to tie him in knots. The redhead had already departed, screaming. Ray sank to one shaky knee and looked up into the colonel's livid face. I'm terribly sorry, sir, he gasped. Here, let me help. He began stuffing papers back into the briefcase. A polished boot hit him where it would do the most good, and he skidded through the disorderly mass. You're an utterable fool, raged the voice above him. You would kick my friend, huh? asked Deanne indignantly. A revolver clanked from the colonel's belt. That will do, he snapped. Consider yourself under arrest. Deanne's broad, smooth shoulders sagged a little. I'm so sorry, she said meekly. Let me help you, Stiletto. She stooped and picked up one of the unconscious men. March, rapped the colonel. Yes, sir, whispered Deanne abjectly. Then, being almost next to him, she rammed her burden into his belly. He sat down with a thunderous oof, and Deanne kicked him behind the ear. That was fun, she grinned, picking up the revolver and sticking it into her belt. What shall we do now? You, said Ereskadan acidly. Ah, typical human. Ray looked despairingly out of the brig at him. What else can I do? 
he asked wildly. I couldn't fight a ship full of Jovians. It was all I could do to talk Deanne into surrendering. I mean in fighting in the first place, said Ereshkodan. I hate standing over a female. Why don't you lot animals have a regular rutting season as we do in Uthu? Tanya can spend time tinkering at something else, too. Something constructive. Well, Ray couldn't suppress a wry smile. Those are constructive thoughts of a sort. But what happened to Deanne? Oh, that question, Ta. Found she couldn't really let her go. But I wouldn't let her see you. I suppose Earth would raise more of a stink over her being arrested than it's worth to the Jovians. But what's her literacy got to do with it? To Colonel's papers, you idiot. To Betty's secret. Doubtless to information about Earth's defences, obtained by his spies, and to be brought home by him in person. But I didn't read them either. You sought him. They implanted in your subconscious memories, and the hypno treatment could extract him. An illiterate like Diane likes to word gestalts. She would not remember even subconsciously. But you, well, Tatty's luck. Maybe Earth can save you. Oh, no. Ray clutched his head. They won't bother. They don't give a damn. I'm wanted back there, and old Vamber will be only too pleased to see me get the works. Vamber, the North American counselor? Uh-huh. Ray leaned gloomily against the door. I was just a plain, ordinary engineer till Uncle Hosmer left me a million credits. Damn him, I hope he fries in hell. A man left you money and you don't like it? Ereshkodan's eyes bugged so they seemed in some danger of falling out. Shalmuanusa, what did you do with it? I spent it. I spent damn near every millo in a year. On what? Oh, wine, women, song, the usual. Ereshkodan clapped his tentacles to his eyes and groaned. A million credits? got me into high society, went on Ray. I made out as if I had more than I did. I met Catherine Vambra, that's the counselor's daughter, and she got ideas that I might make a good fifth husband. Or would it be sixth? Well, she wasn't a bad-looking wench, and I, oh, well, about the time my money gave out and I went into debt, she was really after me. It was somewhat urgent. I skipped, of course. Old Vambra got the cops after me. I barely escaped. He's got enough influence to... Well, it boils down to the fact that the Jovians can do anything to me their little hearts desire. He strained against the bars. Can't you do anything, sir? Your fame is so illustrious. Can't you slip the word to somebody? The Martian puffed out his chest above his eyes and simpered. Then he said with mild regret, No, I cannot entangle myself into empirical. My domain is to beauty and purity of mathematics alone. I advise you to accept your fate with philosophy. Perhaps I can lend you Ekbanotil's Tetis on the unimportance of temporal sorrows. It has many consoling thoughts. He waved affably and waddled off. Ray sank to the bunk. Presently a squad of soldiers arrived to escort him to the tender which would take him down to Ganymede. Colonel Warshevsky Falkamp was there, as stiff as ever, though the bandage behind his ear set his cap somewhat askew. Where am I going? asked Ray. To Gemp Mullenhof, outside the city said the Jovian with a hard satisfaction. It is where we keep spies until we get ready to question and shoot them.